Reveries of a Bachelor by Eke Marvel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Second Reverie by a City Great. Blessed be letters, they are the monitors, they are also the comforters, and they are the only true heart-talkers. Your speech and their speeches are conventional, they are moulded by circumstance, they are suggested by the observation, remark, and influence of the parties to whom the speaking is addressed, or by whom it may be overheard. Your truest thought is modified, half through its utterance, by a look, a sign, a smile, or a sneer. It is not individual, it is not integral, it is social and mixed, half of you and half of others. It bends, it sways, it multiplies, it retires, and it advances, as the talk of others presses, relaxes, or quickens. But it is not so of letters. There you are, with only the soulless pen and the snow-white virgin paper. Your soul is measuring itself by itself, and saying its own sayings. There are no sneers to modify its utterance, no scowl to scare, nothing is present but you and your thought. Utter it then freely, write it down, stamp it, burn it in the ink. There it is, a true soul print. Oh, the glory, the freedom, the passion of a letter! It is worth all the lip-talk in the world. Do you say it is studied, made up, acted, rehearsed, contrived, artistic? Let me see it, then. Let me run it over. Tell me age, sex, circumstance, and I will tell you if it be studied or real, if it be the merest lip-slang put into words, or heart-talk blazing on the paper. I have a little packet, not very large, tied up with narrow crimson ribbon, now soiled with frequent handling, which far into some winter's night I take down from its nook upon my shelf, and untie and open and run over, with such sorrow and such joy, such tears and such smiles, as I am sure make me for weeks after a kinder and holier man. There are in this little packet letters in the familiar hand of a mother. What gentle admonition, what tender affection! God have mercy on him who outlives the tears that such admonitions and such affection call up to the eye. There are others in the budget, in the delicate and unformed hand of a loved and lost sister, written when she and you were full of glee, and the best mirth of youthfulness. Does it harm you to recall that mirthfulness, or to trace again, for the hundredth time, that scrawling postscript at the bottom, with its eyes so carefully dotted, and its gigantic T's so carefully crossed, by the childish hand of a little brother? I have added latterly to that pack of letters. I almost need a new and longer ribbon. The old one is getting too short. Not a few of these new and cherished letters a former reverie has brought to me, not letters of cold praise, saying it was well done, artfully executed, prettily imagined, no such thing, but letters of sympathy, of sympathy which means sympathy. 1. The first reverie, Smoke, Flame and Ashes, was published some months previous to this in the Southern Literary Messenger. It would be cold and dastardly work to copy them, I am too selfish for that. It is enough to say that they, the kind writers, 
have seen a heart in the reverie, have felt that it was real, true. They know it, the secret influence has told it. What matters it, pray, if literally there was no wife, and no dead child, and no coffin in the house? Is not feeling feeling, and heart heart? Are not these fancies thronging on my brain, bringing tears to my eyes, bringing joy to my soul, as living, as anything human can be living? What if they have no material type, no objective form? All that is crude, a mere reduction of ideality to sense, a transformation of the spiritual to the earthy, a levelling of soul to matter. Are we not creatures of thought and passion? Is anything about us more earnest than that same thought and passion? Is there anything more real, more characteristic of that great and dim destiny to which we are born, and which may be written down in that terrible word, forever? Let those who will then sneer at what in their wisdom they call untruth, at what is false, because it has no material presence. This does not create falsity. Would to heaven that it did! And yet, if there was actual, material truth, superadded to reverie, would such objectors sympathize the more? No, a thousand times no. The heart that has no sympathy with thoughts and feelings that scorch the soul is dead also, whatever its mocking tears and gestures may say, to a coffin or a grave. Let them pass, and we will come back to these cherished letters. A mother who has lost a child has, she says, shed a tear, not one, but many, over the dead boy's coldness. And another, who has not lost, but who trembles lest she lose, has found the words failing as she read, and a dim sorrow-born mist spreading over the page. Another, yet rejoicing in all those family ties that make life a charm, has listened nervously to careful reading, until the husband is called home, and the coffin is in the house. Stop, she says, and a gush of tears tells the rest. Yet the cold critic will say, it was artfully done, a curse on him. It was not art, it was nature. Another, a young, fresh, healthful girl mind, has seen something in the love picture, albeit so weak, of truth and has kindly believed that it must be earnest. I, indeed is it, fair and generous one, earnest as life and hope. Who, indeed, with a heart at all, that has not yet slipped away irreparably and forever from the shores of youth, from that fairyland which young enthusiasm creates, and over which bright dreams hover, but knows it to be real? And so such things will be read, till hopes are dashed, and death is come. Another, a father, has laid down the book in tears. God bless them all! How far better this than the cold praise of newspaper paragraphs, or the critically contrived approval of colder friends! Let me gather up these letters, carefully, to be read when the heart is faint, and sick of all that there is unreal, and selfish in the world. Let me tie them together with a new and longer bit of ribbon, not by a love-knot, that is too hard, but by an easy slipping knot, that so I may get at them the better. And now they are all together, a snug packet, 
and we will label them, not sentimentally, I pity the one who thinks it, but earnestly, and in the best meaning of the term, souvenir du coeur. Thanks to my first reverie, which has added to such a treasure. And now to my second reverie. I am no longer in the country. The fields, the trees, the brooks are far away from me, and yet they are very present. A letter from my tenant, how different from those other letters, lies upon my table, telling me what fields he has broken up for the autumn grain, and how many beeves he is fattening, and how the potatoes are turning out. But I am in a garret of the city. From my window I look over a mass of crowded housetops, moralizing often upon the scene, but in a strain too long and sombre to be set down here. In place of the wide country chimney, with its iron fire-dogs, is a snug grate, where a maid makes me a fire in the morning, and rekindles it in the afternoon. I am usually fairly seated in my chair, a cosily stuffed office chair, by five or six o'clock of the evening. The fire has been newly made, perhaps an hour before. First the maid drops a withe of paper in the bottom of the grate, then a stick or two of pine wood, and after it a hod of Liverpool coal, so that by the time I am seated for the evening the sea-coal is fairly in a blaze. When this has sunk to a level with the second bar of the grate, the maid replenishes it with a hod of anthracite, and I sit musing and reading, while the new coal warms and kindles, not leaving my place until it has sunk to the third bar of the grate, which marks my bedtime. I love these accidental measures of the hours which belong to you and your life and not to the world. A watch is no more the measure of your time than of the time of your neighbours. A church clock is as public and vulgar as a church warden. I would as soon think of hiring the parish sexton to make my bed as to regulate my time by the parish clock. A shadow that the sun casts upon your carpet or a streak of light on the slated roof yonder, or the burning of your fire, are pleasant timekeepers full of presence, full of companionship, and full of the warning, time is passing. In the summer season I have even measured my reading, and my night watch, by the burning of a taper, and I have scratched upon the handle to the little bronze taper-holder that meaning passage of the New Testament, The night cometh but I must get upon my reverie. It was a drizzly evening. I had worked hard during the day, and had drawn my boots, thrust my feet into slippers, thrown on a Turkish loose dress and Greek cap, souvenirs to me of other times and other places, and sat watching the lively, uncertain yellow play of the bituminous flame. End of Second Reverie by a City Grate